my name is Rob and welcome back to Directors Uncut. We are a podcast that puts filmmakers from all corners of the globe onto a huge list that covers everything from Spanish art house to Mexican grindhouse. Then we pick a name from a huge bank of directors to chat about their work through two films. And to do this, I am joined by a rotating cast of guest hosts. Um, this week, I'm joined by Agrain. Hello there. Hi. I'm back. Yes, yes, you are. Um, what was the last one you did? It was... Oh, yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Korean director. Oh, and... yes. Na Hong Jin. There we go. Yeah. Uh, the Whaling, great yeah. movie. Um, and also joining us for the first time uh, on the podcast proper, you've been on a few of the What Have We Been Watching segments, but it's Belle. Hello there, Belle. Hi there, and excited to be on the podcast proper. Thanks for having me on. Anytime, anytime. Um, this is uh, part two, a follow-up to James One. Last week we did uh, Saw and Insidious. And how can I put this? Because um, the answer is always obvious. It's people who learn about these directors from either The Conjuring or Saw. So instead of asking that question and just getting the same answers I did in part one, which is always a fun editing treat. And what are your feelings on Saw and Insidious, the other two movies that we did in the um, in the in, in this double bill? Uh, a grain. Um, I well, Saw was the first film that introduced me to James Wan um, as a director and I really liked him, Lee Wanell, him and Lee Wanell because, you know, they were movie students, film students, and they'd made this really small film and it had gotten, you know, mad. it was one of the biggest films that came out kind of around that time. So I really had a soft spot for James Wan. Um, I love Saw and I think anyone that says Saw isn't a good movie is a liar. Um, it, you know, it, has one of the best endings there is in a horror film. Yeah. It's so imaginative. Um, and it spawned, I mean, I know Hostel was said to be like the first digital, but I don't care for Hostel. So um, I'm going to say. T.I. Roth, isn't it? And he's not great. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. So I'm going to say Saw was the forerunner for torture porn. Um, and then Insidious, I, I like it because I love ghost stories and I think James Wan is a proper William Castle character and I think with Insidious and The Conjuring he really brings that horror tradition back to the good old-fashioned ghost train where yes there are skeletons flying at you from you know every which way corner and old ladies on roller skates but like I just love it. I love it. There's such good comfort films and such good Halloween films when it's rainy outside and you want to put on your Snuggie and watch a good ghost story in the dark. Hmm. Excellent. Couldn't agree more. Belle? Yeah. Um, so like the Saw films themselves, it was interesting. Like the very first Saw film I saw was Jigsaw. So I had an interesting like introduction uh, to the franchise. Um, okay. <laughs> But um, but then revisiting the saw like the first saw film, and then actually the entire franchise because I did my own little retrospective on my own pod, Fishnets and Philosophy. So getting to re-examine a lot of those films was good fun, and yeah, the very first saw classic. It just changed things up. It's a film very much of its time, and I also love how much it kind of takes from the same kind of filmmaking ballpark as like the Texas Chainsaw and that it plays with your imagination. It makes you think it's more gory than it actually is. And yeah. then yeah. And like a grain, I just love ghost stories. It's probably one of my favorite types of horror film. So Insidious just delivers on that. And it's really clever in that it's a ghost story possession movie where they actually leave the house, <laughs> you know, and it ends That's up following such a good them. twist, yeah. Yeah. Plus, it has horror daddy Patrick Wilson in it. Always a plus. Yeah. I mean, if that's not the greatest selling point ever, I don't know what is. <laughs> so I assume you're liking the tall grass then, if that's your stance. You know what? I watched it and I appreciated it for having Patrick Wilson in it. Other than that, okay. <laughs> other than that let's not talk about it. I can't say fairer than that. <laughs> Um, for me, so that was a funny one because let's be honest, it, it did become like such a huge whipping boy for like people who hadn't seen it before. Mm. And I'll be honest, I, I bought into it a little bit. 
I bought into it completely because I'd seen other torture porn movies and it's just not for me. I don't like this. It's dull, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think Saw was kind of like where we've had torture porn for like torture sake. I really yeah. ha- I hate the term torture porn anyway, but mm. like, whereas it was, I mean, host, host, I mean, I can't really talk about Hostel because I haven't seen the like next film in the series. I've only seen the first one and it was mm. very much like, oh, like, you know, boobs and chainsaws or whatever. But it just felt like Saw was just so much smarter than that. It was like, well, mm. at least the first three was. Um, it was kind of like uh, the first one was just, it was almost like seven. It was almost like a procedural rather than um, an out-and-out, like, horror. But it was still absolutely horrific. And, yeah, I just think it was really set apart from, like, the rest of the torture porn scene. And uh, it, it, what Belle said there, the Texas Chainsaw thing, I mean, Texas mm. Chainsaw is not a violent movie. I think you see a hammer hit. That's about mm. it, really, in sort of a, a hook. Which is one of those sort of sight gags that you've got in the omen when the the spike the um the cross comes through him in the omen. Yeah. It's just a clever sort of angle gag. Mm. I assume that's the same there, but it's the um crawling through barbed wire bit. That's a bit it, you don't see that much. It's kind of very cleverly edited, but at the same time, it's kind of ooh, <laughs> that's gross. <laughs> yeah. What, what is one of the lines? Uh, they found stomach acid on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty grisly pretty grisly stuff um but uh, movement I mean insidious is great as well <laughs> let's, let's not leave that out but um the sequels not so much i watched uh, insidious 2 before we did this episode and insidious 2 ain't great it's it's james one as well but it's yeah the others are a bit a bit of a drop in quality like a bit you know i think more paint by numbers than the first one, I think. But yeah. like overall, like you know, like Egrain said as well, I think like with the Conjuring films, most of them anyway, or the Insidious films, like they're good Halloween horror films. Like you know, even if like some of them are not as good as like the first installment, there's you can still kind of have a pretty enjoyable time with them. Like you know, they're you can leave your brain at the door in a way, and that's not like an insult to the film. It's more of a just a you can just switch off and enjoy it. Mm. you know what's great about like insidious um which is kind of the same with conjuring is and it's the same with one of the films we're going to be talking about today or actually both of them kind of they all have images that stick in your head and Mm -hmm. you know with the conjuring it's Bathsheba on top of the the uh, wardrobe her face that hanging in the tree with insidious it's either the darth maul character um, that everyone shits on or it's um even in the i think it's the insidious sequel where it's like females from like the 30s but they're all like pale and dark mm. lips and very like weird and uncanny and gothic like that really sticks out in my head and it still kind of creeps me out a lot um so it might not have been a good film but james one's really good with his imagery um and i think that that's what makes his films amazing. Yeah. The second one um, was a sequence where Patrick Wilson goes into rooms full of ghosts with yeah. uh, streets over their heads. That's a pretty striking image. Yeah. Um, I can't get a segue out of that, so I'm not going to try. So instead, we'll just sort of jump into the first movie uh, of the two, which is 2007's uh, Dead Silence. Jamie, you're just in time for dinner. I'm not hungry. It's soup. Delicious, too, if I must say so myself. I'll vouch for that. Oh. I didn't come here to eat. I came to talk about Mary Shaw. You lied to me. No, I didn't. Sit down. No, I want the truth. What does Michael Ashen and our family have to do with Mary Shaw? Fine. When he was a boy, your great uncle, Michael Ashen, Vanished without a trace. For our family, there was only ever one suspect, Mary Shaw. So they dealt their own justice. They forced the screen, then cut out her tongue. Our family killed her? Along with others from Raven's Fair. But she didn't stay dead. She came back and took her revenge. 
One by one, each of the men involved were killed. Their tongues ripped out. And then the same thing happened to their wives. And then their children. And their children's children. All these years, you've resented me for sending you away. But I did it to distance you from this curse. Distance? Well, it found Lisa. Lisa's death made me realize we can't run from our fate. Spirits have long memories. She'll come for us in the end. I'm paying for the sins of my fathers. Jamie, I'm sorry. All I ever meant to do was to protect you, even if it earned your hatred. I don't know how, but one way or another, I'm gonna stop this. A synopsis of Dead Silence, like to the simplest version, it's about <laughs> creepy, scary, possessed puppets. And that's the simplest synopsis of it. But a more deeper synopsis is that it's about the mystery behind the main character's family and why this puppet ghost has somehow killed his fiance, and he goes back to kind of get to the bottom of this mystery and you, he learns more about his family backstory and mm-hmm. more creepy puppets. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Some people really hate puppets. <laughs> So this would be almost unwatchable for those people. You know what it is? I think it's the generation that grew up with Goosebumps Slappy. Um, and it, wasn't there a, a puppet from the Twilight Zone, a Twilight Zone episode? Or am I imagining that? Um, oh, it ran for a long time, so I guess there would have been, yeah. Possibly. By averages. Yeah, but it seems to me like James Wan just does not like, either loves or hates puppets and dolls. Yeah, and uh, he's Australian as well, so they had round the twist. So that oh yeah! I imagine that had had a few. I loved Round the Twist, and I'm really, really sorry for people of a certain generation who hear me say Round the Twist because I know that theme tune is stuck in your head now. Right now, I'm like, don't sing it, don't sing it, don't sing really, it. Don't sing really it. sorry. <laughs> it's Have impossible. you ever, ever felt like this? <laughs> sorry, it's not, it's not possible. It's not possible. <laughs> oh, that I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. Dead Silence, what are your thoughts on it, Agreen? I love Dead Silence. It is possibly my favourite James Wan film. Um, it is so creepy, but so hammy at the same time. And like I was saying, he has images that sticks in your head, whether it's, you know, we've got this image of this old ventriloquist lady um, who has a, an affinity for puppets in a very strange and twisted way and just her face is so creepy and so weird and the fact that you know the whole thing is that if you scream mary shaw's gonna come for you and kill you and she takes your tongue and turns you into a weird puppet um and it's just those images of her victims with their tongues ripped out and like oh it's just it's so disturbing i mean the the storyline is absolutely ridiculous like do not go in for it if you wanted like a substantial storyline but you know what the 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 imagery alone and just the gothicness this rich gothicness that wouldn't be out of place you know in the woman in black kind of universe i love it hmm. well yeah no i'm a big fan of it and like I remember it was one, I think it was probably the first James Wan film I ever watched, but that was before I realized who James Wan was, like, um, back in my early days of kind of only watching horror films every now and then, but not being diehard into it. But I just remember picking it up off the shelf in Extra Vision, like, renting DVDs, remember when that was a thing? (laughs) But um, I just, because, like, the DVD cover just, like, stood out to me, and I think that's, horror films, that's when you have the best memories of those type of ones, when they jump out at you on a DVD shelf. Um, but yeah, I just it stuck with me for years. And then as I started watching more horror and then kind of learning and appreciating James Wan's work, I looked back and I was like, oh, that's that puppet movie I really, really enjoyed. And yeah, it's just haunting imagery that sticks with you. And I think, like you were saying, Negrain, I think that's what, makes James Wan a very effective horror director. He knows how to make like either sequences or specific scenes that even if the rest of the film, you might not have much of a memory of it, that specific scene seared into your brain. And I think he's very good at that. Yeah. Um, one thing I re- mean, it, this is a movie which isn't really well thought of by the wider horror community, I'd say. And I, I was just thinking, as you were saying, that it kind of 
reminds me of In the Mouth of Madness in a way, because that's a Carpenter movie, which is also a bit weird. <laughs> um, and really? It's, oh, well, just for one reason. Okay. And it's not ceremonial. <laughs> oh, if only. Come on, it's something else great. I'm a sucker for that sort of story where I don't know whether somebody lived there or whether they're going there, but if they're going to small town America and they find something's really, really mm. messed up with this very small, very parochial mm. town in the middle of nowhere. It's one of my easy buttons, I'll be honest. It's mm. very folk horror almost, like an, a, a North American equivalent to folk horror in a way, but it's you know very yeah. equivalent of that. But like I'm kind of like like you're saying that. Dead Silence overall seems to be not that well thought of in the wider horror community. Like, I wonder if it was just one of those films because of the time it came out in. Like, you know, Mm, Dead Silence is like that kind of marry between what James Wan had in his conception of how Saw is constructed, but then also his later like Insidious and Conjuring films. It kind of like it's, you can see he's like toying with different ideas, but it's also, it's a very over the top kind of silly and campish horror film and i wonder if like dead silence was like say released now after like say malignant blew up i wonder if it would be received in a better way yeah probably would yeah yeah i agree i think like you said he was still kind of figuring out his kind of directorial style so you see sequences in dead silence that are very sore Mm -hmm. like at the end where he has to explain everything because he thinks his audience are very stupid um and he does that sore flashback um but it's gothic like the conjuring and it's definitely going into you know the conjuring kind of um thing but yeah i think that if it was released Perhaps now, I think there'd be a lot more of an appreciation like it, like you said, Bell. Um, I think he is very good at adding in the campness of traditional horror, of classic horror that we're very used to from people like Vincent Price. Um, and I think that is getting a revival at the moment. Camp horror is getting a revival at the moment. And I think it would have done better if it was released now. Yeah, I mean, going back to that, uh, I mean, I have to ask this question. Would it work without that reveal at the end that big sort of camp saw style this is how everything works and this is this ridiculous sort of puppet mechanism she's she's come up with try to talk around it a little bit because it's one of those revelations i've never seen it before and i thought hang on what what is this this so-called perfect puppet this is ridiculous not 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 that not getting that sort of information blowout would it work as a movie still do you think if it left it all sort of ambiguous uh, it would like it probably to an extent it might work, but it wouldn't be as fun. Like that's probably my oh, no, no, no. like it wouldn't be as fun, and I think like it probably wouldn't actually be as enjoyable or as quote unquote good. And um, just I think the ending is what makes it, even if it's like ridiculous and doesn't <laughs> yes. make any sense. It's kind of a convoluted mess, but it's just so much fun and i just love how it's literally just the reveal of oh the dad has been a puppet the entire time being mastered (laughs) by the perfect puppet which is just his like new (laughs) spouse and then it just ends with the son screaming and then being turned into a puppet and boom done (laughs) it's just like everyone's a puppet in this film everyone's a puppet um just that i love you know what i love watching this film back and being like can i still tell that the dad is a puppet like you look at him and you're like and you're trying to tell if she's doing and then and then you're like but if she's a puppet how is she and how what's going who's who's puppeteering her and it's just it's fantastic i absolutely love this film just for its rewatchability as well like i watch this rewatch this film a lot and it's not just for Donnie Wahlberg's performance either. Yeah. And his electric shaver. <laughs> and his electric shaver. The cast is, is something, isn't it? Because we've got, uh, oh, I forget, isn't it? Ryan Quanton, who was about 15 years old in this. Oh, baby Ryan Quanton. He's such a himbo. Oh. He's very young. I mean, you see him there and you see him in Glorious and it, it looks like his son. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. But he's just fresh off home and away in that, obviously, because they're Australian. So James Wan... Yeah. Was an avid fan of Home and Away, maybe. Um, so he's very green when it comes to perhaps he hasn't quite made the transition from soap acting to 
Well, I don't know. So, like, Australian soaps are weird. There was that infamous episode of Neighbours where the dog had a dream. So, yeah. oh, was that Bouncer? Yeah, Bouncer's yeah, dream. Bouncer's yeah. dream. So, I, I don't know the rules of Australian soaps, to be honest. Um, but yeah, Donnie Wahlberg, yeah. I don't even know how to approach that. Because as a character, he appears quite consistently, but every time, the first time you see him, he's got a pocket electric razor and he gives it a good old <laughs> once over. And that's <laughs> a weird character tick. You know what? I'm really tempted to go back and watch Saw 2 and see if he has that electric razor as well. Maybe it's just how he, he, he lives his life. It's not a character, but it's just him as Maybe a it's like a James Wan Easter egg, <laughs> which one of his characters has an electric razor. And he clearly lost the electric razor between Saw 2 and Saw 3 because he has a big, giant, bushy beard in Saw 3. So it's like, at some point he lost it and misplaced it. <laughs> but yeah, no, his character, like, like, you can tell that he's obviously being cast as like the typical kind of asshole detective that's also forward slash maybe comic relief. And I'm just like, I never know if it's actually... Which is it trying to be? Is he trying to be an asshole or is he trying to be just comedic? I don't know. And I don't know if that's just because the character is just very shallow and not that well thought out. Or if it's just Donnie Wahlberg is not that great. <laughs> and I'm not sure. <laughs> He's kind of a dim character, though, really, isn't he? So I, think, mm. I mean, one thing that I don't think people give James one enough credit for is he knows how to do funny horror movies. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Funny characters in funny horror movies, which I guess... It's kind of a weird little point, isn't it? I mean, these are very campy movies. He does camp horror so well, but people take them so seriously at the same time. Yeah. I think people, because of Saw, mm. like Saw's not, I mean, it's a little bit campy if you look at Billy the Puppet, but like he's not, that's not campy. So I think people right. are looking at Saw and being like, well, this is deadly serious and blah, blah, blah. And they think that that's what James Wan is all about. Whereas, like, that was James Wan and Lee Wanell, whereas James Wan on his own is, like, mm. camp horror, like, the king of camp horror, I think, at this point. And mm. it's interesting that you say that as well, because even with, like, the wider Saw franchise, like, the kind of first ones, which were Wan and Wanell, kind of kept that tonal balance of being pretty serious with maybe dabbles of, like, inklings of campness, but pretty much serious. But then once kind of Wan and Wanell leave and it goes to the rest of the people who took the franchise on then it kind of goes full over the top insanity in a way campness in a different type of and vein so it's interesting to see obviously i wonder that was probably maybe james Wan's seedlings that people picked up once the two of them left but yeah he does camp horror fantastically and i kind i kind of get disappointed when people take these type of films really seriously and I'm just like you're not supposed to that's the whole point <laughs> right when people got up their arses about Megan and you're mm. like oh come on like it's a robot like of course it's ridiculous it's harking back to like the 1950s kind of b-movie attack of the robots slash Frankenstein of course it's meant to be ridiculous like and people also, are just yeah. so serious about it and you're like oh come on lads like also also directed by an Aussie. Oh, well, I think he's an Aussie. He might be Kiwi, actually. Uh, Gerard Johnston. If you've not seen uh, Housebound, I would recommend it. That's like <gasps> oh, that's pri- brilliant. Yeah. That's prime comedy horror, that is. That's yeah. excellent. Um, one thing I've noticed throughout his movies, though, James Wan really does like an abandoned place. And as far as abandoned, <laughs> sort of derelict. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> he's got one in every single film. <laughs> <laughs> he really does, you know, celebrate them. I think this one's great, though. It's like an abandoned theatre. It's just... Mm, very theatrical. Um, What was the movie now? It's an Italian horror movie. I think uh, one with the slasher with the bird head. I can't remember which one it was. Stage Fright, is it? Which made me think of that. I'm not seeing that one either. Have you? Okay. <laughs> well, well, that's a dead end. <laughs> um, But, yeah, is anything else that we haven't talked about with um, Dead Silence that you'd like to bring up either of you? The sound design for me is another one. Mm. Um, so obviously the name being Dead Silence, we get these little sequences where there is no sound. It goes deathly silent and all you can hear is perhaps footsteps of the, the characters. And it's just that use of like complete silence that is also terrifying because it draws you in because you're like, why is it quiet all of a sudden? So you're like really listening. And for someone like me whose attention span is off here and everywhere – it's a really good way 
to actually grab people's attention. And then, of course, you've got the jump scare. And I just mm. think, I mean, I know people go on about jump scares now and like, oh, jump scares, jump scares, jump scares. But like, James Wan knows how to do a bloody mm. good jump scare. Yeah, that one in Insidious with the baby intercom is still brilliant. Yeah. Uh, he knows how to stage a thing. Just before I jump the bell, the one thing I really like about this is just the creature design. Not so much the puppets, but I think this is the only time where it's had a, a, maybe a wrong, I don't know, but the concept where somebody collects tongues and adds it to their own. It's <laughs> just saying out loud, it's so silly. <laughs> Well, it's also really creepy. It's a really creepy yeah. image, isn't it? Yeah. It's a fine line he gets to work with there, and I think he does it really well. Because I will, that's, as far as images being memorable, I think that is the one for, the, for me in this. Just uh, a ghostly <laughs> woman with a, like a six foot tongue <laughs> made of tongues. It's just, <laughs> you don't forget stuff like that. That's your next Halloween costume, sword. <laughs> six foot ah, tongue. That's, that's labour intensive. <laughs> Um, anything that we haven't mentioned about Dead Silence? Um, well, we kind of touched on it in that, like, there's a lot of lasting imagery, and, and mm. I think for me, like, in it's revealed in that setting of the really great kind of abandoned theater, um, but it's just like there's that when they mentioned the backstory of when Mary Shaw was kind of first embarrassed by this little snotty kid that was like, I can see your mouth moving and giving out. And then like kid, the kid disappears. (laughs) And then like when, uh, baby Ryan Quantin and Donnie Wahlberg are in the theater, they discover literally that child's body has been turned into a puppet. And like, that is one of the scenes that just the image images that just sticks with me. And like anytime, you know, Anytime I'm rewatching it, it's like it still impacts me because it's just so creepy. Like you don't see stuff like that. And like you tend a lot of the times in like horror films, like you don't really see a lot of like visibly <laughs> disfigured and dead kids. <laughs> so it's it kind of. Ever, yeah. Know. So it kind of really sticks out in that sense. Um, that is one of the ones that's la- like definitely lasts for me. And then also one of my favorite sequences in it. And I think it's again, it's sets up, it shows both how good James Wan is at jump scares. And then also I think it sets up a lot of the kind of similar types of imagery and sequences that we get in The Conjuring and his later f- um, kind of ghostly films. But it's when the... The morgue man. I can't remember that. Oh, and the mortician. <laughs> thank you, thank you. That's the word. The mortician. <laughs> terrible superhero. <laughs> morgue man. Um, the mortician when he goes into like the kind of cubby, like basement in his house. Oh, yeah. That's like that is just such a well done sequence. And then it ends up like with Ryan Quantum coming in and finding the wife cradling the tongueless body, and it's just like, oh, oh my heart. Yeah. But yeah, no. Very fun film. Don't go in looking for a story and you'll have a good time. <laughs> yeah. Just on that sort of uh, jump scares thing, I think what makes James Wan good at them is some directors just sort of pepper them throughout with like no build mm. and they just don't really land. It's when it goes quiet and you're expecting it and you don't know where it's going to come from. The way he uses a camera, he's just so, so good at that sort of anticipation of the jump scare. Yeah. But you know what it is as well? He knows... I feel like he was one of those kids that had nightmares as children or saw things in the dark because he's very good at placing jump scares in positions and in environments where you've definitely had a nightmare as a kid about it. Even like um, in in The Conjuring where they, you know, they see their dressing gowns on the back of the doors and they're like, oh my God, that's a shape. And then it turns out there's the witch on the wardrobe. And that's a very like, primal childish fear of yours um and i think he's really good at playing on that and that's why they're so good that's why they're so memorable as well because you're like oh yeah i remember when i was a kid and that you know big pile of clothes on my chair looked like a monster and so you know i just kind of want to ask is james one okay does he need (laughs) counseling for his childhood trauma I think he's getting out of his system in (laughs) In a healthy way with his millions. (laughs) So, it's becoming more apparent that not only is Gabriel getting stronger, he's becoming more malicious. If his strength and ability continue to grow at this rate, we will no longer be able to contain him. However, I am still determined... 
Dr. Weaver. He got out again. How far did he get this time? He made it all the way to the records room before we got to him. He found his information. He wants to go home. Dr. Fields, what the hell has happened? I tried to subdue him with ECT, but electroshock had no effect on him. Then all the machines started going crazy. It was like he was drinking the electricity and controlling our machines. I'm okay. Uh, it's kind of a continuous segue throughout this show of camp horror. So, mm-hmm. second movie of the night, I think, yeah, it really no, needs no uh, introduction, but it's a podcast, so I have to. So. <laughs> it's uh, 2021's Malignant. So, uh, again, another one where if you describe the plot of this, it's just a mess. So, in a more sort of... Positive way. Have we got a synopsis? And I review. We we open in 1993, and there is um, a bunch of doctors within some sort of psychiatric kind of hospital unit, and they are having trouble with a patient named Gabriel. And apparently, all the electricity is going, and um, his his speech is being broadcast through speakers, um, and. All of a sudden, the the lead doctor, Dr. Weaver, shouts that, you know, we must cut out the cancer. And then we are forwarded to modern day where um, a woman called Madison is living with her abusive husband. And one day he slams her against the wall. And this seems to awaken a killer who then goes around murdering um, people, the doctors, that kind of have an association with Madison's past um, and Madison and her sister um, and a partnership of detectives must discover who Gabriel is and how to stop him. Hmm. Belle, what are your thoughts on this one? Oh, it's one of my favorites. Like, and again, like in general, when it comes to most uh, horror films, I do my best to kind of just go in blind and not even just horror films, films in general. Like I never Mm. read anything in advance. I kind of avoid having as little as much information as possible. And not because like spoilers are a thing that I have any problem with, but just because I like having it just to wash over me. And Malignant is one of those films that going in absolutely blind and just letting it wash over you is such a fun experience, but no, it's, it just ticked all the boxes for me. It delivered exactly what I wanted. It was effective and unsettling when it needed to be. And then it was balls to the wall insanity when it also <laughs> wanted to be. And it just like it was just a horror film wrapped in a bow for me. It gave me everything I wanted. I love it. Th- I'm pretty sure it was like my number one film of 2021 um, when we did the Roundup episode. Of, yes. of that year it was my number one film um yeah it came at a time where everything was so serious because we were in lockdown and it was so serious and it just felt like horrors were very serious at that point Absolutely. and you're sitting there and you're watching malignant and you know i loved it first for its jello-esque aesthetic i was very there for that because i love jello and it's almost like a film of two halves. We've got this very serious slash, slash, slasher, slash jello. And then the second half descends into this chaotic madness. And I am here for that. I remember I was watching it on my laptop next to my husband as he watched something else. And I had my headphones on and I burst out laughing, like was in stitches. And I, I hardly ever like go into bursting fits at films. And my husband's like, what are you watching? And I'm like, the most glorious thing I've ever seen in my whole entire <laughs> life. It was just fabulous. And yeah, I, I love it. I mean, it wasn't the horror, you know, we needed in 2021, but it was definitely the horror we deserved. Yes. Uh, in a slight change of direction, I'll be honest, the first time I watched it, I hated it. Not because I thought it was bad, but because I, looking back, I think it's honestly because I didn't get it. Yeah. Were you one of the ones that were like, I thought it was going to be a serious horror film? Yeah, honestly, I did. Because <laughs> I didn't have a sort of a perception of like James Bond as anything other than that. Hmm. So, you know, in the interim, I've got a bit more off air with what he does. And yeah, it's second viewing. 
it's great really isn't it it's yeah it it's very different on a second viewing though the first time is very much a creepy creepy uh almost haunted house but that ghost is also a killer that lives in your attic Mm. (laughs) sort of movie um and the second time it's when you know the twist it's just hard to call it a horror i think i still think it's great but just i think it's a little bit more complicated than just just being a horror i think it's an awful lot of things it's what campers campers hell for one um there's also a little bit of his work in action in there too i think because mm. I, I don't think you can do uh, fast seven i think it was and a fast and aquaman, um, as well. aquaman and then not come out the other side look uh, learning sort of horror filmmaking not action filmmaking because that scene in the police precinct Oh. Sort of uh, that sort of mm. spills out from like a cell into the chef's of... kiss perfection. <laughs> it's just far. It's just so well done. It's, it's beautifully done, in fact. So yeah, I think it's just not just a straight horror because also again, it's also really funny. I mean, you can't watch this and not laugh. Let's be honest, can you? Oh, one hundred percent. But then, and I think like you know, I say this a lot. For, like, I'm one of those people who's like. Like, I will do everything in my power to find a way to classify a film as horror. To, like, because, like, it's the main genre I just love. So I'm just like, I'll find a reason to go, that five minutes of that film, you know, <laughs> if you appre- approach it from a certain perspective, that's pretty horrific. Um, but no, for me, like, horror doesn't have to evoke any particular thing. It's just, it's all encompassing. So it yeah. could just be just humorous. It could be action, but it's still a horror adjacent, like horrors in it. Like it's the imagery is there. So even if, even if you watch the entire film and none of it actually scares you, it's still horror. Like in yeah. that's my personal definition, but I know that's one of those things that's so subjective for everyone. Everyone's different, but that oh, the police scene <laughs> that it's just, and I think, <laughs> I've written this down in my notes for Malignant, but it's just, it's one of the, every time I watch this film, it's just, this one line is the one of the ones that just throws, like, it just gets me every time. <laughs> but it's just the forensic character. And, like, I think this is almost like a typecast, like, there's this, like, a trope now for any type of procedural or kind of crime scene type of film or show, there's going to be a nerdy forensic woman, like, it's just a character now you expect it but yeah. that character after like gabriel has just like fucked everything up in the police station <laughs> she just goes to like the injured detectives and she just like picks up her phone and starts dialing and then you just hear her go wait why am i calling the police <laughs> it's, just, like, <laughs> it's just one of those throwaway lines that just gets me every time <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Malignant for me, like on the whole horror thing, is he's taken this story by himself, Anna Kayla Cooper, who wrote the screenplay, and it's it's a horror. It's a horror scre- screenplay. It's a horror story. I mean, the fact that you're taking this teratoma, which is a real thing, mm-hmm. um, and and turning it into this weird body horror um, that is terrifying because it is a real thing. There are people mm-hmm. that have teratomas removed where they've got hair and teeth in them um and and then he is putting this you know action almost kind of um it's almost like a like a an like an asian kind of chinese hong kong kind of action flick like sequence to it and it's just like if you don't like horror cool this is an action flick if you love horror look at this creepy thing on the back of this woman's head you know it's just he's so good at melding genres Mm. and making it work and making it copacetic and just it just works it shouldn't but it does i I don't think anybody else could have made it work i don't don't think anybody (laughs) else could have even pitched it to be honest because yeah the idea of the action scene is basically the main character running backwards and that's that's the characterization of, of that sort of alter ego just her yeah. running backwards and with a big trench coat on yeah that's another thing like you know when i was like oh in dead silence i love watching back and seeing if i can tell about the dad mm. i love watching malignant back and seeing if you can definitely tell that it's her running backwards and you can you absolutely can why didn't i pick it up the first time um and yeah, again, it has fantastic rewatchability as well because of oh, those yeah. factors. You do pick up those little bits, and there's, 
don't know whether the, just sort of rewatching it. Um, one of the things that James Wan always puts in is references to his other films. That's the one thing I didn't pick up. I don't think there's any other because in um, Dead Silence, there's uh, the jigsaw puppet on the uh, mm. black bar. Yeah. Hang on, no. Is that right? Yeah, there's something. I don't think it's on the black bar. I think that's in like Insidious or Conjuring. Yeah. But there is in Dead Silence, there is definitely a, it might be like a movie poster or something like that. I can't yeah. remember exactly what it is. But yeah, I don't remember anything like that in Malignant, which means that maybe it's all a universe. It's like an MCU universe, but for James Wan films. I'll be okay with that. I just need yeah. a Gabriel and Megan team up at some point. It just has like I'm just waiting for that to happen. Like And Annabelle. Annabelle comes in. Actually no, Actually, she's yeah. their she's their nemesis. She's the <laughs> exactly. She's like I was the first doll. Yeah. Or they team up against a nun or something. It like it'll just oh, like yeah. it'll just Terrible. something yeah. <laughs> But it's you know, James Wan could make it work. Um yeah. but if anyone um, can, James Wan can exactly. <laughs> but um and I think we also have to have an honourable mention for one of the <laughs> most important characters in Malignant, but is Annabelle Wallace's wig, <laughs> because like, especially <laughs> on like rewatching, once you know that yeah. it's covering Gabriel, <laughs> it just like you can't not see it as this giant. Like it's like above her head by about like, two feet. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's definitely taking Lady Bunny vibes. Like definitely. Yeah. I mean, after sort of like. The top of the cake, isn't it? As far as people who take things too seriously, it's like that's clearly a wig. <laughs> yeah, but also all those like old monster movies are clearly guys in suits, but they're still yeah. brilliant. It's yeah. you kind of don't appreciate it like that. Um, music is an interesting one because mm. um, the first time you watch shit, I, I mean, I didn't pick this up, but it has sort of like a nice sort of gothic synthy vibe mm. about it, mm, and then you get that yeah. the pixies kick in yeah. i just i love I, I always love films that include pop music in a way that you don't expect it um whether it's you know a jordan peele film taking an r&b hit and making it mm. the scariest fucking song you've ever heard in your whole entire life or even in a girl walks home alone where there's that whole sequence with um uh white lies uh death yeah it's such a beautiful sequence that yeah and it's like when you hear those songs just out in the wild on the radio and the first thought is a scene in a horror film. And I feel like that's what James Wan has done with the Pixies. That now when I hear the Pixies in the wild, I'm going to be like, oh my God, where's Gabriel? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a clever trick, isn't it? It's not mm. like playing the Pixies, where is my mind? It's that synth classical yeah. haunting scar, which... We- Works as an atmosphere piece, but it's also a subtext in the choice, the pick of the, mm. the song mm. choice of Where Is My Mind. Yeah, yeah, it was a very clever remix of it. And I think it's again, it just showed like, like one of the reasons why I love James Wan so much. And like, now I don't know if this choice of music came from him or from Akila Cooper or a collaboration, I'm not entirely sure. But like, one of the things I love about James Wan is that he just knows and loves horror. Like, you can see mm. it in every film he puts out in the horror genre, it's you can tell how much he ca- like loves horror. Like he's not just doing a horror film. Like he genuinely cares about the genre. And like, I think over the last kind of few years, a lot of horror films have really been delivering that kind of eighties synthy vibe with their scores. And Malignant is, was just tapping into that, but then also twisting it by having it being a remix of a really great pixie song. So it's just, such clever use of it. Yeah, I mean, the synth thing I think is very played out because a lot of people just do it because I like John Carpenter and that's all the reason they really use for it. Mm. And this feels like it's very aware of the fact that it's sort of just common sort of uh, common language in modern horror, but he's using it to tell a story as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Malignant almost is Halloween-y in a way. You know, we've got this young woman who has, well, I know it's like the second Halloween when we find out that... Uh, that Jamie Lee Curtis's character is related to Michael Myers, but it it just feels a bit like of a nod to Halloween and Carpenter, where we've got you know this sibling kind of relationship, and yeah, that was just my thought there. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. Sorry, then, but then also you <laughs> could say, <laughs> is it it's Halloween? Is it Halloween four or five? Where 
Jamie Lloyd, the character, has the psychic connection with Michael. Oh, so yeah. there's also a touch of that too. So <laughs> <laughs> possibly very, very, oh, very big stretch. But <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, that's all being retconned by a terrible trilogy. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, one solid one and two terrible ones. That's fair. I will not have any slander for the brilliant Halloween kills. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a terrible film, but I love it because it's just, it yeah, does exactly what it is, and it's just lots of people being killed in inventive ways, but it's a terrible <laughs> film. It's such an inventive movie. I don't think there's anything else really like it in the horror space. I think that's kind of like a nice little sort of a tableau for James Wan as a director, really, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that's why he's kind of working well not even working his way i'd say he is in the same vein as craven and carpenter and you know cronenberg as in he is now a master of horror Mm -hmm. like who else within this present era let's say the past 20 years is of the same magnitude who has the same back log of work who is such he's so in charge of his craft that you can watch a film and you can be like that's a james one film or that has something to do with James Wan. Like, you just know from the get-go, the same way you would know with a Craven or a Carpenter film. And I think he is a modern master. I don't know whether there's anybody, actually. No, I mean, I know there's, like, you know, everyone thinks of, like, Ari Aster and, you know, um, Mike Flanagan. I'm not a Flanagan stan. Um, I don't believe he is a master of horror. Um, yeah, he needs to have his characters stop talking for 20-minute monologues a bit more often. Oh, my God, the monologues. Um but anyway, anyway, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna yuck anyone's yum. But I just don't believe it's at the same caliber. Yeah. Like I think I'd say at some point you'll probably be able to put like there's definitely some directors that are you can mm-hmm. see are gonna get there. Yeah. Like as in they're gonna have that level of output and once they do, they'll be in the same category. But right now in this moment in time, James mm-hmm. Wan is probably the only kind of modern new master of horror yeah. is what i would say because a lot of the other directors that you go oh they're one of my favorite horror directors they only have one or two films out yeah so it's not enough to reach exactly, that yeah. level yeah like i say like jordan pills getting there like yeah. julia ducarnau's getting there jennifer kent but they just haven't got that same backlog yet or back catalog not backlog that's the wrong word back catalog of mm-hmm. work that james wan does yeah anything else about malignant that we haven't <laughs> talked about that you'd like to bring up I want to talk about the creature design. I know we Mm. talked about it with Dead Silence, but just the creature design of Gabriel is so, like, just that image of when he's coming out of her skull. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm. like, oh, my God, that is horrific. Like, the fact that they were like, you know what we're going to do with this uh, attached twin? We're just going to stuff it into her skull, (laughs) plaster it back up, and hope it doesn't come out. Um, I know that's all about, like, suppressing trauma and all this kind of, you know, the thing with Malignant is probably – one of James Wan's only subtextual films, you know, he's the only film that really deals with like this deeper level of trauma. Um, it's not just like ghosts and funny things. Mm. Um, and I just love that there is that deeper level of reading behind the film to such a ridiculous film. Um, but yes, creature design. Sorry, I go off on such tangents. Uh, creature <laughs> well, design. Yeah. Well, it is like a sort of just on that before you look back around again, it is basically a sort of domestic abuse survivor mm-hmm. story, isn't it? So yeah. And I weird. I think that's almost what makes Malignant even like more like just so clever and stronger as a film because, like you were saying earlier, Grain, that you know Malignant came out at the perfect time and that like everything was so serious, everyone was just down because of everything going on in the world. So it was great to just have a film that you could just kind of let loose with, but also the horror sphere for the last decade has been very serious for the most part like yes some mainstream exceptions kind of very traditional and stuff like that but for the most part the horror sphere has been very trauma focused very kind of in-depth stories character stories which are fantastic are great but when that's pretty much all you're being given it gets to a point where it's like you needed something else and i love Mm -hmm. how in a way, it's almost like James Wan is kind of reacting to that by giving that. He's giving you that subtextual story, but also under the guise of this camp, ridiculous horror film. And I think that's the way to go. Give us more films like that, that are mm-hmm. camp and fun, but are also have a deeper, richer textual meaning. Yeah, you can be both, by all means. 
But uh, the character design, the Gabriel design, you were saying, uh, Agrain, mm. to go back to that. Yeah, um, I just, I just think it's great. Like, if it's just a game, an image-based thought that you know pops into your head every now and then, you're like, oh my god! Like, do you remember when Eurowan's hair separated? You know, it's just that. It's just <laughs> another example of James Wan being really good at like uh, imagery, and then. I just, I would have loved to have been there when he went to the special effects artists and were like, so I have an idea for a film, right? And what I'm going to need you to do, (laughs) I just, I just wanted to see their faces and they, you know, they, they've kind of uh, carried that thought out so well as well. Cause it could, it could have been really bad. And like on first glances, you're like, yeah, that looks pretty terrible, but it's actually um, like, it's just really well done. It's yeah. really creepy when its mouth moves as well, yeah. <laughs> but, Silly, but, but definitely creepy. I love how they also comment on, this is just ridiculous, when they, they have like the police sketch, and it's just like, the detective is like, this? This is who we're looking for? Because like, I, it's just so clever, because he knows that that's going to be a reaction, as people mm-hmm. are going to go, it looks shit. And he's just going yeah. in the film, yeah, it does look shit, but it's also... Yeah creepy as fuck but i don't know which i find more creepy the gabriel like coming out of her head and just the kind of weird eye and mouth or the full gabriel on the back of her as a child because that entire sequence when you get both at the same time so well done but also (laughs) yeah yeah and it's also the long black hair as well as an element of the Japanese mm-hmm. sort of J-horror naughty style with, you know, the long lank hair of a young woman. Yeah, you know what it actually reminded me of the first time I saw it? Um, I don't know if Evie Views have seen Cherry Falls. No. So in that, the antagonist looks pretty much like Gabriel, like with the, the long black trench coat and the long black hair. And it kind of reminded me of that. So I kind of thought I'd love it if it was a little nod to Cherry Falls, but probably not because it's a terrible film. <laughs> Why not? People can reference <laughs> terrible movies too. It can be our new headcanon. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bell, anything else that we haven't mentioned about? Um, I keep on mm. brain farting on the name. It's about <laughs> malignant. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> the only thing is just like, this film is just so fun and dumb, but it's just like my one of my favorite sequences is like towards the end in the big kind of final fight off with Gabriel, where she traps Gabriel back in his like she reverses the sit roles and he Gabriel is now trapped in her body in her mind and like her sister is like crushed under the hospital bed and she just goes it's always been my body and just lifts it up and fucks it over and it's just <laughs> it's just like because the one thing I'm just like surely she would have realized at some point in the past that she has this weirdly super strength (laughs) like yeah yeah i just love it it's so fun and dumb it's one of my favorite films that was probably the weakest part for me was like when it got all about family and stuff i was like oh shut Mm, up i don't like that kind of and you know the whole kind of sister thing She's like, oh, you're actually my sister, even though you're not my blood. And you're like, bitch, like she was, she was your sister the whole time. Like, I don't know. I just didn't like that sappy bit. I was just like, oh, shut up. (laughs) Get back to the killing. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit of a middle finger to adopted kids, isn't it? Yeah, it was like, I thought it was just like a bit hammered in. I did like Mm. that was something, yeah, that I definitely, every time I rewatch it, and I think I'm probably up to about 10 rewatches now because I just love it. It's one of my comfort horror films, so I will put it on so many times. But every time I rewatch it, that's the one thing that always kind of leaves a bit of a weird taste in my mouth. Mm. I'm just like, oh, I don't know where this is coming from. Like, it just, yeah, it feels very kind of bio-essentialist. And I'm just like, nah, not vibing with that. But other than that, the film is fantastic. (laughs) Um. One thing that I have to bring up is James Wan, he has a, I don't want to say a reputation for uh, sequels, but I'd, I'd say it's just the measure of his success, of his success. He's made a lot of very successful horror movies that sort of need to be sequelized and franchiseized. Mm-hmm. That's not a word, but I'm going with it. There's been talk of a sequel to this. Do you think there should be? Because honestly, I think it's a pretty perfect one and done. But I'll let you two answer. Should there be a sequel to Malignant? Mm-hmm. There technically shouldn't be a sequel to the film, 
but I also love the ridiculousness of the character of Gabriel. <laughs> I'm just like, if I can somehow have Gabriel in another film killing loads of people in a very action-focused way, I'm in first in the seat. I'm happy for that. But an actual kind of story sequel to this film, I don't really think it needs it. Like I think it's kind of all wrapped up. I don't I don't really think it needs it. I want to see it, right? And this is just me being a sick fantasist. I want to see it become part of the X-Men world. I just think I think <laughs> I didn't I don't, expect that. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just think if it turns out that, you know, Dr. X or and Magneto come and, you know, come see Madison and like you have a gift. It's time you use it. Um I just I, I think or Professor X, I call him Doctor X. That's another character altogether. Yeah. Uh Professor X. I just I sh- I don't know why. I'm just like that would be amazing. And then, you know, she'd be like another gene where she has this amazing power but she has to like balance it and i don't know um if anyone wants to take me up on that i can (laughs) on that topic now i actually think you know who would be a perfect like film companion for gabriel deadpool Deadpool. yeah (laughs) (laughs) well they did do that failed experiment at an x-men horror movie didn't they so yeah new mutants was such a letdown had so much potential Hmm. Um, so a wrap up is a hard question to ask this, but as a horror filmmaker, what is the left for James want to do? Because he seems to have done it all. Oh, I want to see him do a clown movie. Oh wow, well, that's I think never what I expected very... that. Yeah, but okay. <laughs> I'm just full of like full of surprises tonight. I think he would do an amazing clown movie because he knows exactly what would scare the crap out of people. I mean, I know we've got like Art the Clown at the moment, but he's more kind of like gore, you know. Mm. And I think the recent It films were really crap when it came to clowns. Um, And I just think James Wan, because he's obviously so messed up in some way about dolls and puppets, but I just think he he would know what to do with a clown film. And there hasn't been a good scary clown film in a while. Yeah, they've all just been dumb slashes or killer clowns from outer space, which I don't know what that is. Have you never seen killer clowns from outer space? I don't know what it is. I just don't really understand. I've seen it and I'm I'm, I'm just a confused mark in my memory. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, for me, um, actually, when when you were talking to Grain, the first thing that popped into my head was just Gabriel in space. (laughs) But no, I want to see James Wan do a... take something and just i'd love to see his take on a horror property taking place on a space station in space like i just i love horror in space it's just one of the most stupidest things and i love it like when i'm and i'm thinking like you know the stupid like jason x which i love those type of films (laughs) not alien which is just actually good sci-fi horror i'm talking about the dumb slasher elements um but i'd love to see james wan to tackle that um because i think he'd be good it would be fun to see that yeah i mean i like that he's uh, segued into the era of his career where he's been a producer now and he's helping the next generation mm-hmm. up. i think that shows a director who genuinely loves uh horror because there's many i wouldn't say the peers but they came in the generation after him who used horror as a Sort of, I'm going to do this cheap horror movie. I'll make loads of money, and I can make the movies I really want to make. Yeah, and it's so nice to see that James Wan isn't that guy that he really loves horror to the extent that he's producing. I mean, I think his hit rate's not great as a producer, but the fact that he's still doing it, I think, just speaks so good. It speaks so much of his love for the genre. Yeah, whereas a lot of other directors make horror to get their start in filmmaking so they can then go on to be whatever type of director he has started as a horror director and then he's done the big buck action films so he can then go back and make the horror films more of the horror films produce more of the horror films that he wants to do yeah and i think that's really commendable especially Mm. produce and make the ones with the bigger budgets Mm. you know because he he has that kind of pull power now so it's very clever that he'll be and like i think he's like in that perfect sweet spot of like being like, sure, I'll make your next Aquaman or I'll make your next whatever action franchise, but only if you give me X amount so I can make this ridiculous horror film. <laughs> and 
he's so clever, but also his horror films make bank. Malignant did oh, so yeah. well. Like and like that's why so many of his films mm. look going back through the years have been franchised because if you put Juan's name at, to a film, it mm-hmm. does well. And that's why I'm like, not not a film thing, but that's why I'm so disappointed that I only ever got the one season. But James Wan's tackle of Swamp Thing, if you haven't watched that, was that, that was him. If oh, you wow, haven't wow. watched it, I would encourage you to go and watch it because it has like elements of Carpenter's The Thing and it's just so eerie and spooky. And yeah, but that's James Wan. Like he was involved with making that. And I was so gutted that it only got the one season. You know what I would have liked to have seen James Wan do? And it's being done by the, the guy who did the most recent Halloween films. I would have liked if there was to be an Exorcist reboot, which, you know, there was bound to be at some point. I would have liked to have seen him at the helm rather than mm, rather than David Gordon yeah. Green. <laughs> I just think him doing an all-out possession film would have been really good to see. Um, mm. But yeah, sure. Like I know, obviously, he's a uh, conjuring films are possessiony, but just for him to tackle like the possession film, I think would have been really interesting. Hmm. Um, I mean, I know the answer to this question already, but I have to answer it anyway. Well, ask it anyway. Sorry. Um, does he have a strong filmography, James Wan? Simple as that. Does he have a strong filmography? He's been working a long time mm. in horror now. Is it strong? Is it weak? Is he hit or miss? Because there's many different takes out there and the work that he's done. I think um, neglecting his action work, which I have, I mean, I fell asleep in Aquaman. I am not, I, I don't watch Fast and Furious. So like, I don't know his action stuff apart from like what I see in Malignant. I think it really is because when you think about the films he's brought out, perhaps apart from like Dead Silence or whatever, but they've really been at the helm of that kind of time or that genre of movie that he's bring. So you think about Saw and you're like, torch porn. You think about Conjuring and Sidious, you're like, well, that's the haunted house, the, you know, the haunted family genre, malignant. Um, it's just all very at the helm and it's I mean you can say whatever you like about its spin-offs and its um sequels but like all of those films they're such strong hitters mm. like whether you're a fan of them or not they're they're good films yeah there's an awful lot of snobbery when it comes mm. to the work of him mm. of people who use terms like elevated horror which just saying it here all horror is elevated mm. don't be don't be silly <laughs> yeah and um... <laughs> But yeah, I think like it also like um, when you say, does he have a good filmography? I think it depends. You know, you could say, in what way are you defining his filmography? Because like you know, he's got like according to IMDb anyway, he's got like fifteen director credits. But then if you look at writer, that's slightly more. Then if you look at producer, that's way more. But if you're talking about specifically films that he directed, which mm-hmm. is only like which is a much smaller number compared to everything his name has just been attached to. Then as a director, I think it's a pretty solid, you know, back catalogue. Like there's, to my eyes, I don't really think there's that many misses. Like, you know, yeah, Insidious 2 and Conjuring 2 might not be as strong as the ones that came beforehand, but they're not necessarily terrible films. They're just not And I think it's, again, that's like, and I think that's the thing with franchises in general. Like when it comes to these ones that James Wan has done or just across the board when the first installment hits so well it's all you're always going to be comparing whatever comes next to that first one so it's yeah. always going to be hard to live up to the success of the first installment but I think overall I think he's got a pretty solid directorial back catalogue and I don't really think there's many misses hmm. agreed absolutely <laughs> Um, so, to wrap things up, um, Ukraine, where can we find you and your work on the internet? Um, so you can find me uh, primarily on Twitter, at what underscore... What? Wait, hang on. At what underscore scream. Um, you can find me on Instagram, at what a scream. Um, and yeah, you can find my work uh, at The Geek Show, uh, Moving Pictures Film Club, Girls Magazine, um more recently a few dread central articles have come out as well and um, bell yourself yeah so i am mix bell morrigan across all the socials so twitter instagram 
everywhere else and then my podcasts fishnets and philosophy can be found wherever you get podcasts and then i'm f and p pod on twitter and then fishnets and philosophy pod on instagram and i also have my website fishnetsandphilosophy.com which again i I house both back episodes of the podcast and written pieces there and i'm now a writing contributor for google's magazine so you can see stuff there too this podcast would not exist without girls. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> thankful. I'm really, really thankful. Thank you. thank you, Zoe, if you're listening to this, which you're probably not, but still, thank you. Um, and you can find me uh, online across all the social medias at Uncut Robcast. And there's a, a link tree there to where you can find this podcast in all of its forms, as well as the stuff that I write. Um, in the next episode, we are going to do John Landis. So, still keeping it vaguely horror. Um, yeah, check that out when it drops on your podcast feed, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>